This is the Patriots Catch-22 Podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Nailed it. Joined, as always, by Alex Barth. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it, no risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. That brings us to uh, the, the final guy that maybe isn't a quarterback after all. And uh, talk about you said yesterday you were very effusive. You weren't going to talk about. It. I said I wasn't going to talk about it. Talk about it, Evan. Talk about it. Talk about it. That's what we do here. We talk about everybody. And because it's a fun storyline. Stop. It's still not a fun storyline. But what is a fun storyline is the Patriots, Alex. Look at that! What a what an open. The Patriots reportedly hosting DeAndre Hopkins. Yes, five-time Pro Bowl wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins on a free agent visit uh, next week, I think is the the free agency tour. He already has a meeting set up with the Titans, and he's going to come up here to Foxborough after going down to Nashville, getting some getting some chicken, some, some barbecue. Then he comes up here. Where do you take him? Where do you take him? Up here? Yeah. Well, I'd say the ground round if the ground round still exists. <laughs> right? Because we know that works. Apparently, the ground round closes. The ground like, round closes, exactly. <laughs> who knew? You get the popcorn, you draw on the tables. The Love ground, the ground round. The ground round closes. I'm kind of insulted you'd even ask where I, do you it, take them. It's I, the ground I, round. I mean, the ground round doesn't exist anymore. I think some of them uh, do, but not around no, here. No ground rounds. No, I've looked this I'm up. i Marine on this. He's shaking his head no. They still exist in like the Midwest. Okay, well, this isn't the Midwest. If you have to, pitch, that's what I said. They still exist, you have but to not pitch here. DeAndre Hopkins on coming to the Patriots. He likes a nice dinner. Uh, let's let's call it. We're not we're not going to put a specific cuisine on it. It could be anything. Where are you taking him? By the way, the closest. Uh, oh, there is still one in Maine. You could take him to Maine. Okay, there is still a ground around in Maine. Um, well, I mean, this is it's recruiting, right? And Bill right. O'Brien was just in college. He should know this, and he's worked with him. Does DeAndre Hopkins like a good steak? Does right. he like seafood? Does, Does he like, he like Mexican food? Right, Italian. Right. You got to know these things. You got to know these That's things. how you sell them. That's I, what you do. I feel like the, the and, and please do not stake this out, Patriots fans, but I feel like Davio's is like the spot for, for their recruiting I mean, pitches, yeah, right? that's that's the easy one. Let's see here. Although, I so I just found this. DeAndre Hopkins did a Q&A on uh, NFL TikTok <laughs> this is great. Uh, last December. And his favorite meal is turkey lasagna with marinara sauce. I feel like that's something Davio's could. could no, you go out. North End. If you're going to do well, lasagna. Well, you're going to do Italian yeah. food. You take him to the North End. All right, all right. Let's Davio's might end. have it. Davio's might have it. I don't know. I don't you, uh, like Italian food. Yeah, I know. Go Italians to using turkey. <laughs> that's a good point. Unless I'm offended this wrong. me. North End. Maybe we go uh, go a little table Boston. Go a little little Strega. I could see that. Seems like there's some other interviews where he talks about like liking different kinds of chicken. I think he's just like a poultry guy. All right. Well, he is from South Carolina, so that makes sense. So it yeah, doesn't make a little tracks. bit of sense. But uh, Alex Barth, Evan Lazar, Patriots catch twenty two with you for the next hour or so. Here we're going to talk Patriots OTAs. We just came off the practice field. Uh, the rain held off until the very end of practice, and then it opened up. The skies opened up, but just in time to get in a, a pretty good practice session. Nothing really amazing or, or concrete to glean from what happened out there at practice, but we'll still discuss what we saw. But we got to kick off the show as we did for just the first eight minutes or whatever it's been, five minutes, on DeAndre Hopkins. So this morning, the news, in case you've been under a rock and you didn't know, uh, the Patriots and DeAndre Hopkins have uh, reportedly put a visit on the books. He's going to come to Foxborough for a free agent visit, 
and hopefully the Patriots close. And that's why we're talking about where we're going to take them, not us, but where the Patriots right. should take them uh, to uh, to close the deal. And uh, I think the the biggest thing, if we can get into the football of it, I think uh, one thing that I, I wanted to say off the top about this Hopkins pursuit, the Hopkins sweepstakes, is there's, to me, a disconnect between what he's actually saying he wants in his next team and what Twitter thinks that he should want in his next team. Yeah, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, why isn't he going to play with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? Or why isn't he taking less money to go play with Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills? Or and with an... I know you have questions about Josh Allen, but I'm going to say an elite quarterback with some quarterbacks more elite than others with Super Bowl aspirations, right? A team with Super Bowl aspirations. And how do the Titans and the Patriots fit that? Now, there's one piece of it, which is that at 31 years old, coming off nine games due to suspension and injuries over the last couple of years, maybe teams don't view him the same way that they once did. Uh, Maybe he's washed. Maybe that's the reason why these contenders are not chomping at the bit to sign DeAndre Hopkins. But I do think it's important to actually listen to the man and what he said. And that, that was uh, what he said at the, on the I Am Athlete podcast a couple of weeks ago. And a lot of what got run was like that facial expression video that he did and, and the quarterback list that he did. Uh, but his answer about what he's looking for in his next team. he's And, some, and let me just add, yeah. the quote you're going to read is more recent than all of that stuff right and obviously people's opinions change over time yeah so here's what here's the short version of it and i'll I'll read a little bit from the longer version of the quote as well for me that's that's it great management a qb who loves the game and a great defense that was those are the three boxes that he wants to have checked and i i stress the qb who loves the game part because he went on to say that a QB who loves the game, a QB who brings everybody on board with him, pushes not just himself, but people around him. I don't need a great QB. I've done it with subbar QBs, just a QB who loves the game like I do. So I'm not saying that to take a shot at Mac Jones. I'm really not. People know that I, I'm a Mac Jones guy, but he didn't say in that answer that he needs to play with Patrick Mahomes. Right. Right. And so I don't think that that's as big of a deterrent. He even said, I don't need to like, right. I, yeah. Like he literally said, I don't need the quarterback. You're all saying, I think I need. Yes. So he needs a quarterback who loves the game. Check. And I don't want to make a, a whole thing about Mac Jones staying after practice, but we just watched Mac Jones stay out of, out of after practice for about 30 minutes in the pouring rain in the middle of June, right? So if you want a quarterback who loves the game and wants to work his butt off, you can say what you will about Mac Jones's ability as a quarterback, his ceiling as a quarterback, his physical tools. There's no question in my mind about his work ethic. Well, it's also, I mean, even sim- more simple than that. I remember when we asked him, whatever it was, last week, two weeks ago, about Juju Smith-Schuster. Yes. You know, where he said, we're both football nerds, me and him, and right. we get along on that level. Yes. That's kind of what I – that was where my mind first went to when I heard this quote from Hopkins was, all right, he can football nerd it up with Mac and Juju. Yes. So I think they checked that box. I'm going to say check. Check, yeah. Stable organization. We're both looking at each other <laughs> and pausing. I think the big thing is – and I texted you this earlier. I do not think that they're – the media – there's grousing about Bill right. Belichick, right? It's the game passing him by. Uh, what have you done for me lately? And those are all f- 
to a degree, different degrees, fair criticisms. But I think within the league and within league circles, there isn't as much of that going on because I still think he's Bill Belichick to like 99% of people. Well, I also think, I mean, it's it, this one's all up to interpretation to make because if you listen to the rest of that quote, he talks about how he's had, whatever it is, four or five GMs yeah. in, in the last four years. And it's, the, the Patriots are stable. Like, I agree with you. The Patriots are stable. It is Bill Belichick. Yes. Right? It is Bill Belichick. And, it, and it's Mr. Kraft, too. Like and they, it's Robert Kraft. From right. the top so, down, they're stable Well, so that's the thing. Could Bill Belichick retire? That's possible. And, and, but but just what is DeAndre Hopkins' window, though, right? Like, I, right. I, I don't think that Bill is retiring before DeAndre Hopkins, necessarily. So that's the question. And in, in, to extrapolate that a little bit, well... It seems like the Patriots are trying to get a plan in place for when that happens, whenever it may be, and yeah. bringing Gerard Mayo back right. and kind of increasing Matt Groh's responsibilities. So, yes, if Bill were to retire in a year or two, it would be another GM for DeAndre Hopkins, but it's not – the organization's not going to be uprooted, right? It's yes. not going to be a total overhaul. Uh, philosophical overhaul change within, let's call it, three years, right? Yeah. So – when he says the thing about, you know, I keep having all these different GMs, he might have a different GM in the next three years. Bill is kind of year yeah. to year. He's even sort of said as much in yeah. recent interviews. But I'm still checking the box. It's So I, I would still check it. Yeah. But we're not the ones to check it. It's him. How does yeah. he see it? That's I, the question. I still think, and also just based off of what Hopkins has said about Bill in the so past. So that's, that's a good point. You can kind of defer to that. And There's a that mutual sense, admiration there for sure. And that's, or, or a mutual respect. I but I say. actually know, but that would even be all right. You know, he loves Bill. He's coming here because of Bill. If he goes to Bill and says, hey, are you going to be here as long as I'm here? And Bill says, I don't know. And I don't think Bill would say that, no. but that changes it, right? That I think that... I, I, I'm checking the box. I, I am too, but I do think that's going to be a part of the conversation. I don't think that there is a, a world where DeAndre Hopkins is signing out long enough with the Patriots in this offseason, in, in this transaction right now, that that Bill's string runs out before Hopkins's does. I agree with you. Because this is going to be a two- or three-year deal. I, I agree with you, but I think Bill, he's going to ask Bill Belichick to say that to him. Maybe. So let, let, let's just say that box checked on that one too sure. because i think it's fair to check it uh great defense patriots whether yeah, that, that box is emphatically checked emphatically checked and i also want to preface that with some of the things we just saw out at otas today well before I we do that, that i just want to say he specifically says great defensive line yeah you're gonna play with a guy who's been a top five pass rusher in the nfl for the last three years since he got here yeah or last two years since he got here in matthew judon yeah so, judon Within Uche, the Barmore, I, Keon White look, right. looks pretty good. Within the great defense box, there's another, I, I, and I don't know where that came from because I mean we've talked about this in the past. It might be more about having a, a great secondary at this point than a great defensive yeah. line. But I, I think great defense for Hopkins came from the fact that he probably believes that they weren't successful in Arizona because of their no. Defense. I get that. I'm saying. I wonder why he said great defensive line specifically where that came from. I, I think a lot of people and and this I do think that there's different back and forth about is do you build from your secondary in or do you build from the front to back? So you or? think this is like podcast host DeAndre Hopkins slinging a take about how to build the team. Correct. Like, is he good? Is he actually, cause I hear that and I'm like, is he going to look at two teams? Money's equal, all things equal, but well, team A has better corners. 
Team B is no, better pass rushers, no. so I'm signing with Team B. No, I that's think what, that, that's kind of what that quote sounds I, like. Though. I think he, I think a lot of people, especially guys that are involved in the passing game, yeah, feel like pass rush wins. Oh, out. okay. So he doesn't respect corners. He, it's not that he doesn't respect corners. He just thinks that putting pressure on the QB yeah, yeah. affects the the offense, the passing game more than anything. It else. was look. I, I'm just saying, and, and maybe this also honestly doesn't even relate a ton to the Patriots at this point. This is just me kind of nerding out on it. Yes. How often do we hear an offensive player, especially one of DeAndre Hopkins' caliber? Talk give about his defense. philosophies, not just talk about defense, because we hear them talk about it. This corner does yeah. this, and this, but like give his philosophies on team building on the other side of the ball. I just thought right. that was kind of interesting. So, my point of bringing you up this quote, less. and no, uh, my point of because I just don't really care too much about current players that play on the other side of the ball and like their opinions on team building. Like it's just I I don't know. You wouldn't be interested if Matthew Judon was like, you know, this is what I look for in a good receiver. You wouldn't be interested to hear what he has to say in that? No. That's kind of the equivalent of it, isn't it? If he said, this is what I like, these are the good tackles, and this is why. But but that's why I'm saying it was such an interesting comment, because Hopkins wasn't talking about corners. He specifically brought up the defensive line. I think he brought up the defensive line, again, because... He spent a lot of time in Arizona watching Kyler Murray run around for his life. So, but, that, but this is what I'm saying. You have an offensive player talking about defensive philosophy away from his position. I find that interesting. Okay. And yes, back I would be interested point. to hear. Can we hear, get back to the main Yes, point? but I would be interested to hear Matthew Judon's idea wide out. This is, this is classic. Can we get back to the main yes, point? Yes, go ahead. I've the main point. point is that, to me, with that quote, DeAndre Hopkins just described the New England Patriots. Yeah. Stable organization. A QB that loves ball, a great defense. Like I, I think that that's the Patriots, and if the money is there from the New England side of things, I, I think that this has a real chance of getting done. Now, the big speed bump in all of it, and then we can talk about the football fit and the fallout and all that. The big speed bump for all of it is: does he get out of Nashville? Right? Like, does he get right. out of Tennessee to come to New England to to have that happen? Now, based off of things that we've heard from his camp, it sounds like he wants this tour because he's never been a, a true free agent before. Uh, he was traded from Houston right. to Arizona, and he's never been a free agent in his in his career. So, I think he wants he wants to be wooed. He wants the 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 parade, right? Like, he wants it, and so I think that there there's that element to it that he might take the next visit just because he wants to shop around a little bit before he makes a decision but uh, really if everything is there and that's truly how he feels about what he wants from his next team then there's if you're a Patriots fan you should feel pretty good about this getting done I'm not saying don't get too excited right don't go buy a DeAndre Hopkins custom jersey at the pro shop but there's always a mystery team there's always a mystery team that's fair but I, I think that there's a, a good reason to believe that this could happen. So that brings us to sort of the fallout and, and the football side of it. Well, just something on what you just said, though. I think you hit on a really important point. If the Titans really want him, and frankly, I think the Titans are going into a rebuild. I don't. They should be I, trying to lose games. I don't really understand it for the Titans. Mike. So it might be one of those things like Mike Vrabel doesn't believe in rebuilding and yeah. he just wants to win. But if the Titans really want him, they've got to have a number in mind they're going to go to. And they, if if they really want him, they are going to get a try. They are going to try to get him signed before he leaves the building. Yeah, and I agree. If they don't get that done, the Patriots, who have, based on the the numbers from OverTheCap.com, have twice 
the flexibility yeah. of twice the cap room the Titans do. If the Patriots get him in the building, don't let him leave without a contract. Yeah. It's that simple. Don't let him go. to if, if you have to overpay to get it done, overpay to get it done. I It's a little apples and oranges, but rem- who was the safety? Remember when Taylor Rapp was here yeah. in free agency and we were all like, what a great fit. That'd be yeah. a great signing. And then he left without the contract. Yep. And we all kind of knew right there. He wasn't coming he here. He wasn't coming here, right? Because if the player's going to sign, he, he, players aren't really, eh, you know, it's a fine contract. I'll look at it. It's either a yes or a no. Yeah. Right? Don't let Hopkins say, eh, I want to see what else is out there. I'll get back to you. Give him and make him an offer that he can't refuse. Sure. And so with the football side of it, there's obviously what Hopkins brings to the table individually. Yeah. There's the domino effect on the rest of the offense in terms of what it does for everybody else to have a guy like DeAndre Hopkins in the building. And then there's, I think, a third rung of this of, okay, who's the odd man out at that point in the receiver room, which I think there's a lot of interest in that. Yeah. A lot of interest in that. So we're going to tackle all three of those things. I want to start with DeAndre Hopkins' football fit. Well, he made three all-pro teams with Bill O'Brien as his offensive coordinator in Houston. He's not the same guy, I don't think, quite in terms of his ability to really threaten the third level of the defense and, and get vertical down the field. I don't think he's quite the same player that he was. But I also think it's weird that people think he's washed, uh, mainly because of the production last year was ridiculous. Off the charts. I, I mean, if you take his production from last year – He's basically the most productive receiver on the Patriots last year besides Jacoby by, like, a couple yards, right? It's like, yeah. Hopkins had, like, 770-something, and Jacoby had 800. So we're talking about, like, 20 yards. And Hopkins did it in nine games. <laughs> so And Jacoby did it in, like, 16. So you're talking about a player that, even in a nine-game sample size, was as productive, essentially, as anybody on your roster last year. So from week seven, when Hopkins came back from the suspension, from week seven until Kyler Murray got hurt, in that seven-week stretch, eight-week stretch, I don't know if they had the buy in there, but Hopkins led the NFL in catches and receiving yards. When he was healthy and playing with a healthy quarterback, he he caught more passes and had more yards than any receiver in the league. Talk about productive. Talk about relative to the Patriots, by the way. You want some fun numbers? Sure. So, you know, I love to do this with DeAndre Hopkins because people don't understand what 700 yards in nine games really means. They think in terms of a full season. It's a lot of of yards. If you extrapolate Hopkins' numbers from last year out to a full season, 121 catches, 1,354 yards, six touchdowns. I have these numbers memorized at this point. Yeah. Do you know the last time Patriots receivers hit those benchmarks? I'm going to say 2010. Uh, All but one have been more recent than that, but not by much. So... 121 catch pace last year. Yeah. The last Patriots receiver to beat that benchmark, Wes Welker had 122 catches in 2009. Oh, that was close. So that would be the most catches by Patriots since 2009. Yards, 2011. Also, Wes Welker, I didn't realize, he had 1,569 yards in 2011. That's what I'm trying. Whenever Wes Welker comes up as like a Patriot Hall of Fame nominee, this is why I try to tell people. I thought you don't want him in. Oh, 100% But you don't want Moss in. What? What do you mean? We had this conversation during the Parcells thing. did I say thing. that? When we had the conversation during the Parcells thing, I said, we got to get Moss in. You said he, hasn't, he didn't play here long enough. I would rather have Welker in. Oh, I'd rather have Moss in. Regardless. This okay. Is a, that's that's it for July. Topic. Yeah. Um, touchdowns, the six touchdowns, last time a Patriots. So this is just wide receivers, by yeah. the way. This doesn't include Gronk or James yeah. White or anybody. The last time a Patriots wide receiver had more than six touchdowns in a season, this one's actually not Wes Welker. You want to guess? You're thinking. I am thinking. You're not going to get this one. This is the most recent. I'll give you that hint. 
Julian Edelman? No. Uh, Brandon Cooks had seven uh, touchdowns in 2017. Okay, that makes sense. So 2017 was the last time a Patriots okay. wide receiver this many so touchdowns. That's a production. Jacoby had six last year. He tied. I, I think what the the main thing with Hopkins as a player, and I think a lot of people already probably know a little bit about Hopkins as a player since he's been a star receiver for a decade in the NFL. He obviously he catches everything. Like that that's the big thing. Everything. His his hands are ridiculous. He's got a great catch radius. Uh, he's got great ability at the top of the route to be physical and bump people off the coverage and also just out muscle guys at, at the catch point that that's always been Hopkins's game uh the other thing that I think gets really underrated about him is his route running ability and he subscribes and you can just tell by the way that he plays that x receiver position he is everything is a fade to a T like his release it he gets up the field and he makes it all look the same and then he's going to snap it off right slant yeah. dig come back back shoulder fades like that's those are the things that he likes to run uh, he wants to really be at the first and second level of the defense really the intermediate is where he eats a ton but which is the area of the field Mac Jones is at his best throw but he he pushes it up the field first right and that's what gets defensive backs on their toes that's what gets the their flip, hips flipped up the field and then he can then go ahead and break it off so he's not he's a a typical x receiver he's slant he's dig he's a fade he's a comeback he's an out he's a back shoulder right like that he's just a typical x receiver and i think with those elements to his game it almost to me it almost like the trickle down effect of it is almost as much as the production itself that he brings to the table because i think what you see with a guy like that in the building first of all he gets the number one corner every week and that means that juju gets the number two corner and then taekwon get right like it just has a domino effect on the rest of the offense when you have somebody demanding a top coverage i do think that you might still tilt coverage at times his direction I'm not necessarily saying that he demands a double team so much anymore. I don't think he's that guy anymore. But I do think you have to tilt it a little bit that way. And it just opens up a lot of the other options in this offense. You know, you have Tyquan Thornton over the top. You have DeAndre Hopkins running the X route tree on the outside. And then Juju and the tight ends fill in in the middle of the field. That middle of the field is going to be a lot less condensed if you have somebody that can win one-on-one on the outside like a DeAndre Hopkins can. So I actually look at it and say, even if he only comes in here and has 800 yards next year and he's you know, has similar production to even somebody like Devonte Parker. I, I think the trickle down effect of opening it up for everybody else uh, would be a huge get for the Patriots, and that's where I've always been on Hopkins. I'm not sure if he's the 1500, 1300 yard guy anymore, especially for 17 games. I, I think that that's asking a lot or expecting a lot. But I know that when Philadelphia starts game planning for the Patriots Week One. I know that Darius Slay is going to line up across from DeAndre Hopkins. And I know that their offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, excuse me, I can't remember right now because Jonathan Gannon's the Cardinals yeah, it's new. It's head coach. New people. Uh, the defensive coordinator of the Eagles is going to have to th- talk about DeAndre Hopkins on Tuesdays. Matt Patricia is going to have to talk about DeAndre Hopkins on Tuesdays. <laughs> on Tuesdays. Special defensive assistant. And that Eagles. brings us back to our, our old Tuesday player thing, right? Like that's the right. one thing we've – yeah, they got some nice pieces. Tyquan Thornton, Juju, Kendrick Bourne, Parker, the tight ends, Ramondre. Like, nice pieces. They really do. Uh, they don't have a Tuesday guy. And whether it's 
solely... By the way, Sean Desai is the Eagles oh. DC. Yeah, okay. Uh, whether it's solely based off of reputation or not, I still think Hopkins is a Tuesday guy. I, yeah, oh, I, yeah. I still think you circle him. I still think you have to worry about him every single week, and and that's really what the Patriots get in him. So, clearly, I, I mean, I've been all in on Hopkins for weeks now, especially once it, the news came out that he was going to get released. I think that that's the easiest way to sum it up of why is just I think that he's a true outside-the-numbers threat, I think Bill O'Brien knows exactly how to use him. And I think that it would probably mean that the passing offense as a whole is going to produce a lot better, even if Hopkins individually doesn't go off. You know, even if he doesn't have, you know, some the the, the 17 game pace that you, that you right. always read out, even if he doesn't hit those numbers, uh, the trickle down effect on the rest of the offense, I think, would really open things up. So it's I exciting. Mean, even if the, and even if the numbers drop by 20, call it a 25 percent regression, which yeah. is steep. Yeah. He's still a 90 catch thousand yard receiver. Yeah. Which would be the best season by a Patriots wide receiver since Edelman. Yeah. I'll give you one more, too. You talk about like the impact on number one corners because pe- I've made that argument and people say, oh, great. He gets covered by the number one corner who's going to blank him. Yeah. Right. Now, a lot of Patriots fans, I'm not included in this group, are all hot and bothered about the Miami Dolphins getting Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. And oh, no, Jalen Ramsey is so great. And so I wouldn't use this argument because I don't think Jalen Ramsey's on this level. But. DeAndre Hopkins last year against the Rams, which was mostly... J- I don't have the exact breakdown on Jalen Ramsey, but Jalen yeah. Ramsey covered him for the heavy, heavy part of this game. 10 catches on 14 targets for 98 yards. Yeah, That's what he did to everybody's number one corner, Jalen Ramsey. Um, for a corner I actually think is good, Marshawn Lattimore, so against the Saints, 10 for 103. Yeah. Are there any other elite corners on this I mean, list? he was extremely productive in the games he played last year. There's yeah. no question about that. I, I just think that the... The pecking order is established at that point. Yeah, you have a you have a nice pecking order where well, this is what you have the, everybody in the right spots. They have all these really good number two complementary receivers, right? But everybody's playing probably a spot above where they need to be. It's like yeah. to use a to, to cross sports here for a second. Who is it? A couple years ago for the Celtics, I think it was Marcus Smart was hurt and they had Peyton Pritchard in the starting lineup. This was they didn't have Derek White yet, but like. Everybody was basically playing one spot ahead of where they should, and the Celtics yeah. were struggling, and Marcus Smart came back, and it's not like Marcus Smart totally flipped the switch for the Celtics, but suddenly everybody was in the role they were supposed to be, and you weren't asking any one person to do too much, yeah. and everything just sort of clicked. That's where the Patriots wide receivers are at. You're going to look at it and say, well, you know, Devontae Parker struggled last year, or Tyquan Thornton struggled last year, Kendrick Bourne struggled last year. Why is that going to change just because of Hopkins? Well, now, because instead of getting number one coverage and instead of getting coverage that's shaded over the top, all that's going to Hopkins. Now, all you're asking the rest of these guys to do is win one-on-one, which I feel pretty confident. We'll see what Thornton is, but, like, if he hits the... If he makes the leap we expect him to make from year one to year two, Thornton, Parker, Bourne, and maybe one of those guys isn't here if Hopkins is here, but the point being, those guys all should be able to win one-on-one more often than not, and we know Juju Smith-Schuster can do that as well. Yeah. They're not going to get one-on-ones more often than not without Hopkins here because right. teams don't have to worry about and Hopkins. La- Once you bring Hopkins year, in, you set that all up. Right, and, and last year I think a lot – Not you know, Jacoby had a, a good season regardless, and given the situation it was a, probably a pretty good season considering. But last year Jacoby got a lot of that attention. Right. And it just didn't feel right. It is no, it's, not, it's not a slight on Jacoby, but it just – it didn't feel – 
teams were doing it almost because they like who else were they going to do it to right you know like it, it was clearly that jacoby was the guy in terms of the volume well, but then i would even add to that and then what happened was remember Devonte parker had a couple big games there and yeah. then all of a sudden they started doing it to Devonte parker yeah. and then they just kind of were it was very it that old he's the guy that like. old well no it's that old patriots philosophy of we're going to take away what you do best yeah it was way too easy for teams to do that and they could just sort of rotate yeah how they were doing that, whereas, all right, so your your focus coverage is on Devontae Parker and Kendrick Bourne goes off two or three weeks in a row, and then all of a sudden you're in that Tuesday meeting and, wow, Kendrick Bourne is 400 yards the last three weeks. Right. You're going to start shading coverage to Kendrick Bourne? You're going to leave DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one? Like, you yeah. now have to think about that where it was, all right, we'll start shading coverage to Devontae Parker. We'll deal with Jacoby Myers one-on-one. And, yeah, Jacoby Myers started playing better, but he – he never gave them reason to go back to that. Yeah, and, and so I, I think the other thing quickly, uh, and then we'll get into OTAs and some of these calls, uh, the other storyline or, or co- conversation or question that's out there is, okay, who's the odd man out, right? If they right. sign DeAndre Hopkins, who's the odd man out? Now, it's a li- we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, I think, with having these types of conversations, but... I, yeah, I, the people want to know. We'll we were just talking about it a little bit about. off the air before we started the show. I, I think the biggest thing for me is there's no there's no rush right? There's no rush. If they sign DeAndre Hopkins a week from today, let's say they break the news on Friday, next Friday that they signed DeAndre Hopkins, there's no rush to then cut Devontae Parker in the same same day or the same conversation. And I think it's important, honestly, to to bring all five, and I'm including Tyquan in this, all five veteran guys to camp. I think I would bring all of them to camp. Oh, of course. Why wouldn't you? And because, like we were saying, you know, somebody rolls an ankle, somebody pulls a hammy. Like, you just, why not keep the depth, right? Why not have that into camp? If you're talking about who gets moved on from and all that type of stuff, I think that's really a conversation that would probably happen on cut down day at the end of August in early September where, all right, he's we're going to decide that Devontae Parker, just for this argument's sake, is the odd guy out. Maybe we we get something for him you know, in a trade. Maybe we flip guys. You know, this veteran's going to get cut from this team. We're going to cut this guy. Let's let's make a trade happen here. You know, they've done those types of trades in the past or something along those lines. But I don't think there's any rush or any urgency uh, to to cut any of the receivers just because you signed DeAndre Hopkins. If I had to place a, a, a wager on who it would be that would be the odd man out, I roles wise I'm inclined to say Parker because they're this they're very very similar players like I don't know how those two guys complement each other or play on the same field right they're both big bodied physical X receivers like they're they're the same guy uh, to me in a lot of ways in terms of what they're being asked to run and things like that so in terms of overlap I think it's Devonte Parker's the obvious answer in terms of What's the word? Uh, optics, <laughs> in terms of uh, who's in the best standing. Yeah, with the head coach right now, it might be Kendrick Bourne. Yeah, I with that. Well, first off, the other thing you have to remember is financially, and they open up a lot more money cutting Devontae Parker, trading Devontae Parker at six and a half million with no dead money. Yeah, Bourne's like four million with I think a million in dead money. Yeah, I feel like if they were really at that point where they're just going to move on from Kendrick Bourne, they would have already done it. Yeah. Right? They had so many chances last summer and this offseason. And, and and like you said, stylistically, it, it you can keep Parker. Is he going to play? 
Right. Is he going to play and, and with I think that DeAndre that, Hopkins? So. I, and I think that that's tough because I I would keep all five in theory, but I think it's tough for Kendrick Bourne and Devontae Parker. that They're veteran guys that should be playing. Right. And so is that really what you want in terms of like locker room dynamic? I, I, I would lean yeah. towards no. And, and the other thing, too, is you know that they're going to want to open up some money. And I think Devontae they, Parker definitely does that easy. Right. They're going to want to open up some money after they – because Bill always said, what is it, like five, six million yeah. you need to get through the year. And any any Hopkins contract, which we can get into what we it's think probably going to be six or seven million off so the that, Yeah, it's going to get you – they're at like 14, I think, right yeah. now. So that gets you around under five. Maybe they don't need to open up a full six million, but yeah. – they're going to want to open up somebody. What, what do you th- what do you think numbers wise for him? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think that it's tough because based off the market, it feels like it's a soft market, and I, you don't want to overpay and, and outbid your, yourself. Right. Like you don't want to bid against yourself. I think that really you're going to get the original report on the contract is going to be a lot more money than the contract is actually worth because yeah. his agent and Hopkins are going to want it out there that the total value of the contract is X, right? right. Just to make them look good. I think it's a two-year deal. So I think it's a two-year deal. I think it's two years between 30 and 35 million, somewhere in like the $15 million range per year. And my guess is, is that it's maybe like a year and a and a quarter guaranteed or a year and a half of it is actually fully guaranteed but there's some sort of way the patriots can get out of it in year 2 that's not totally handicapping them that would be what i would think so this is keeping in mind mine is and, and this is keeping in mind that thing i said earlier about do not let him outside the building right yeah. do not let him leave without a contract i'd put on the table 3 years 40 million all of the guaranteed money is in the first two years. So it is essentially a second, a two-year deal. Right. Right. There's a clean team out after the second year. Look, maybe he's balling out through two years. You want to keep him great. But I worry about the second year. I worry about the second year. I think but, I think you're going to get a motivated. I think you're going to get a – I think you get one more one more run with Hopkins. But that's how That's you, how I think it that's, is. That's – if that's the cost, would you rather have him for two years or no years? That's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, no, I, I think that if that's what it takes to get the deal done, I don't. I'm not like going to lose any sleep over so it. So that, that's but. what I'm saying. That that second year is the the part I'm saying about don't let him out of the building. And look, maybe I, I said no guaranteed money in the third year. Like you said, would you say like a year and a quarter guaranteed? Yeah. yeah. I, Call it a year and a half guaranteed. Yeah. For me, but I think that third non guaranteed year because then his agent gets to go. Look, it's it a three-year deal, yeah. right? And yeah. forty million, but maybe it's twenty, twenty-five million guaranteed, yeah. something like that over two years. That's what I'm saying. Like the reported deal, something like three years, forty million, third year not guaranteed. You give him the multiple years, so that's his incentive to sign on the spot and not go take other meetings. Right. But you can still get out of it relatively easily if it doesn't work out. And not to get too into the contract minutia, but that's the one advantage that I do think the Patriots have is it's a little like a RFA. A contract at this time of year they can almost like poison pill it for these other teams that might be interested like there's a way that if they put up the money in the signing bonus up front in the first year that like a team like buffalo can't even sign right. him well, to that that's, contract that's what the ravens did with beckham yeah oh no they did that in reverse sort of well they, they well beckham's only a one-year deal beckham's a one-year deal but there's like four void years on it is there i think he's only making like a million this year yeah so i think that that's the way that you go about in a bidding war is 
you look at the teams that are in the running for him, and it's obviously we know the Titans is reported, but who knows who the dark horses are, the teams that aren't being reported. Buffalo has said that they would want him, but they just aren't going to pay him, right? It's Which means be, they don't want They're just trying to keep their fans happy. It's going to be on a Super Bowl discount if he goes yeah. there. And there's a way for the Patriots to basically say, well, these five teams only have like $6 million in cap space. We can absorb it in this year and still not really worry about the rollover into next year because of the guaranteed and the structure. You tennis, you can't sign him to this contract, right? You know, unless you jump through some hoops with the cap, which is everybody can and will and does, but it's a little bit becomes more complicated at that point. You want some uh, Titans adjacent? A little breaking news. A tiny bit of breaking news relates to the Titans. Uh, Patriots announced uh, Mike Vrabel's and Dante Scarnecchia's Team Hall of Fame induction will be October 21st, so that's week seven. Titans are on the bye. Yes. Patriots host the Bills that Sunday. Yes. So that's on Saturday. The induction will be on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday Saturday induction and then the game on Sunday here against Buffalo. So uh, that's that's our takes on DeAndre Hopkins to start. Obviously, we'll probably continue to talk about this until he signs somewhere, and you can obviously call in at 855-PATS-500 to talk about it as well or talk about something else. But let's take some of these calls, Alex, and then we'll we'll give our OTA takeaways. Uh, What's up, Sean? How you doing? Thanks for hanging on. Thanks. I have two things. We'll start with Hopkins. I agree with everything you said. He, uh, I'm sure he'd come here if the, if the money's right. And I don't really understand all the void years that happened with the OBJ contract. I'm not sure if the Patriots would do something similar. And if so, if they could um, somehow alter that, if they decide they want to extend a contract uh, while it's still under. And I, I, I'm not a big cap um, capologist like uh, Miguel, but uh, that that's something to consider. Now, I also think that he'll be a fit with the Patriots like uh, some players they can't grasp what the Patriots do but like you said he's a he's a football nerd he's very articulate he's very intelligent I'm sure he's gonna uh, grasp onto it right away and and be a a great addition Um, the next thing I want to talk about is the Patriots first opponent and it's a very tough one but I think in a good in some ways it's it's actually a really good thing because this is going to be a really important challenge for the Patriots is the Eagles offer a lot of things that the Patriots had trouble with. So we'll see right away what they have and how they improved, um, how the tackles are going to hold up against that ferocious defensive front. Also on the defense, uh, I want to see how the secondary is going to adjust. Like I know the Patriots will be multiple and, and will play every opponent differently. Like the Patriots didn't play uh, the Jacoby Brissett led Cleveland Browns the same way they did with Joe Burrow and and the Cincinnati Bengals. It's it's a different opponent. You're going to try different things. But against that team, I'd like to see in the secondary um, have uh, Gonzalez go against uh, AJ Brown because of his size, and that that could be a a good matchup, a good challenge for sure. And then on top of that, uh, with the other two top targets like um, the tight end, uh, let's see, um, you have. Um, I don't know if it'd be Phillips or if it if it'd be um, uh, Duggar or someone who's who's going to cover the tight end. But it, the other important thing is maybe um, with the actual linebackers to see if Mapu is going to cover Swift or if he's actually going to um, also be able to um, see what what the quarterback does and maybe spy um, the quarterback on on that team. So that's, I leave you with that. <laughs> 
Thanks, John. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I, I just quickly on the void years, I don't want to like water down the whole thing on cap minutia and salary caps and contracts, but the Patriots typically don't do void years. Into well, they the used to be a big void year team. The last couple of years, they've gotten away from it. Yeah, they've, they've, they don't love borrowing money from the future, which is what void years is, right? right. You're basically right. borrowing that money um, from future years and and you're lowering the cap in the immediate, but you're putting money on your cap later. And uh, the one guy that they've done it with a little bit recently is Devin McCourty. His was the last contract they had on the books with void years. Yeah, so they don't do it a ton. Now, the one thing about void years is the deal doesn't actually void until the start of the league year, right? So you have that window from the end of the season to, let's call it March 15th, whenever the free agency window opens, to extend that player to avoid the contract voiding, right? Right. Which is, I know, kind of confusing. But uh, I don't think the Patriots would... Uh, I, I would be more inclined that the Patriots would add a year to Hopkins's contract, a real year, than a yeah, void year. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't think they really love the voided structure uh, too much. A team, team like the Saints... They go crazy with void years. Yeah. So I, some teams they they like it. Philly, uh, they use a lot of void years. Uh, the Bills just used used void years on Leonard Floyd uh, to get that contract un- under the salary cap. So some teams do it uh, with the Eagles. Uh, a lot to talk about today. I don't know how we're not going to really do a deep dive into Philadelphia. I got to admit, I don't like that being the matchup week one. No, I'm, no. I'm maybe a little bit different. I mean, he, he is right to the extent that we're going to learn right away, right? We're going to, I think their biggest hole is tackle. They've got great yeah. pass rushers and we're going to see could, how they could defend we have the had RPO. Like a, a poor man's Philadelphia in week one though. Like, did it have to be so Miami again? Yeah, sure. Like did it, but did it like, <laughs> did it have to be the defending NFC champs? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if it was Miami or so, I know we've seen Miami in week one a million times and we're kind of sick of it. But if it was a team that's, built like that yeah i would be like okay yeah that's a good little test like a little test out of the gate uh getting thrown to the wolves in the first week of the season was wasn't really what i wanted uh that that's my take on philadelphia all right uh jeff what's up how you doing jeff jeff ray hey what's going on guys hey how you doing good long time listener first time caller thank you love it couple things first of all the ground round in maine is like Five minutes from me. Nice. Oh, yeah. Pretty popular. So do with that information what you will. Um, so two things. One is, uh, well, I guess both are a couple of my core Patriot memories, uh, and one of which has a question to it. Uh, the first one is a random play. I assume you guys won't remember it, but it's always stuck out for me. It's just like a real football guy kind of play, uh, which is, I can't remember when it was, but. James Devlin and Tremaine Edmonds hit each other in the hole, and they both just stood straight up. Nobody went down. Nobody fell over. Just two meatheads slamming into each other. Um, that is just an all-time football play for me. Um, and then my question, uh, I'm sure you guys do remember this one. Back in 2013, the Pats played the Bills, and I've always loved that game because LeGarrette Blunt returned two kickoffs for 145 yards and just absolutely dominated that day. Um, and my question for you guys is what player on this team do you think could have kind of a fun, unexpected role? Um, whether who do you think it would be? Like who do you think could have a role like that? Or who do you want to see and what role would you want to see him in? You know, like something like Juwan Bentley running dive on the goal line. Um, 
So I'll leave you guys to it. Excited to hear your answers, and I'm sure I'll be calling back again. Thanks, guys. Thanks, awesome. Jeff. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. We never explained the ground round thing. We just went right into that. Okay, so, we can explain people it not, in a second. It, it, people are probably very curious why we're talking about that. So Jeff is talking about, I guess, like players playing out of position, sort of, right? Like Juwan Bentley playing fullback. I, you know, well, I think it just means, but, like, who, who thought like Garrett Blunt was going to be returning kicks going into that season, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I... I don't know if I have one off the top of my head. That one might I might have to think about a little bit, but I, I do I do wonder the fun thing to me is just like getting these fast guys into some space. Like to like appear strong, right? Like yeah, it's not out, yeah. it's not outside the box as like you know, look Eric Blunder turning kicks or Juwan Bentley playing fullback, but uh, in terms of like what's the one guy that I want to see have maybe a bigger role or a bigger impact that is currently projected, I just don't think that they really have an, a ton of guys that are four three eight right like on right. the field, and I would just like to see a little bit of juice in in the in the open field from somebody, and maybe it ends up being a Pierre Strong. I know we all know that Taekwon could do it or yeah. has that ability too, but maybe somebody that's a little bit further down the depth chart. So I think what he's talking about maybe is like kind of like what Marcus Jones was last year. Like yeah. when he's on the field, whenever he was on the field, whether it's at corner, at, at running back, yeah. at returning yeah it was like okay like marcus jones like i remember we get in the press box they just put marcus jones on the field like yeah Yeah. what's going on here yeah the guy that i i all right i'll start with the guy i want to see that happen to because it's pretty obvious is malik cunningham because it would be hilarious to get to talk every week about how malik cunningham is making a difference all over the offense just okay. okay you don't think that would be funny no i yeah shock could could also just like really quickly on malik cunningham can we stop saying that Malik Cunningham has like electric speed? Because four five five is he, he's a great athlete. He's a great speed for a quarterback. But this is you know I'm talking about Pierre Strong. Pierre Strong ran a four three eight, right? Like okay, just okay, okay. Just, but but wh- who's the real guy? Like you're just busting my. He's chops very athletic running. and and he's he's a very, very good ball athletic. carrier. You're trying very, to, he's quick. He maybe he's not fast, but he's very quick. You're, you're trying to get me going. I, so did, just, I think I did. Yeah. Uh, the two guys I could see this happening with, and this kind of transitions us into OTAs. If you want to go there, yeah. Evan. Yeah. On offense, I really feel like they're going to have Ty Montgomery do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Running back, receiver, you know, slot receiver, boundary receiver. That's where it was trending last year. Right. Uh, And and he'll play in the kicking game as well. Bill talked about that. So I think Ty Montgomery's a guy that we're going to be looking when he's on the field each play. Okay, where's he lining up? What's he doing? And then on defense, I think the answer is becoming pretty clear at this point. Mapu mania. Marte Mapu is just... I, I like that everybody. In, he's all I like over the that place. we're all on this this train with Mapu, who uh, today uh, jumped a, a Bailey Zappi pass uh, for what would have been a pick yeah, six. It, and I a, mean, closed setting. In, I think it was like four or five yards. He yeah, closed just, from the throw to boom. the catch point. Just you saw, and this is what I've been seeing with him, and it 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 finally today it sort of had a tangible like example right with the pick, but it's that. It's his instincts. Like he, yeah. he, he clicks into things so quickly. Like he reacts and his, his, uh, he's always feels like he's like a step ahead yeah. and, and he can anticipate and he understands what he's looking at. Uh, that's really rare for a guy at this juncture. Like Duggar, just to use as an example, Duggar early on in his, his rookie camp and his rookie season, you could see the physical tools were there. But, the anticipation that wasn't necessarily there that ability to read a route and understand okay he's sitting down he's running across whatever like that wasn't necessarily there but he's just this raw freak athlete yeah to me mapu 
has a lot of those instincts too. And I think that that's where it comes to. That's why I have been clamoring so much for him to play linebacker is because I think he has linebacker instincts, like his ability to click into things. Okay. It's, you know, it's a pulling guard scheme. It's an outside scheme. It's a toss. It's a swing into the backfield to the running back. It's a little sit route to Matt Sokol over the middle, which was what it was today. I'm, I'm there. Like I, I know where I'm looking at. I'm, shot out of a cannon and I'm there uh today Mapu again I've been singing his praises all spring uh he had probably his best practice out of all the practices that he's had this spring today uh pick six another pass breakup that uh, frankly was probably a drop that he stepped in front of a of a crossing route or dig route and, and probably should have picked it off too and just continues to be everywhere in terms of alignment also playing safety playing uh, a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage playing deeper safety more safety the last couple practices than true linebacker like he was in that opening practice but he's everywhere all the time and it's just amazing to see how quickly he's grasped onto it and and all in the red non-contact jersey like we haven't even gotten to him hitting people yet which i think is going to be a problem too well it could go both ways. And I mean a problem as a good thing. No, I know what you mean, but what is it going to be? Like, the big question is his size. What is it going to be like when he gets more physical? Well, I all I know is, is that in college, and I, I get that it's a big jump from where he was at Sacramento State, but his explosiveness translated into power, right? Like, he was able to convert yeah. speed to power. I'm just saying, I think, like, that first padded practice, yeah, just going to be isoing Marte Mapu whenever he's on the field. That is the guy I'm going to well, be watching this. T- Got to test them. If he looks like this in the padded practice, yeah, the the brakes are off the hype train. I mean, that yeah. thing is completely out he's of control. He's Fred Warner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, he's he looks like a problem. I Christian Gonzalez was out there at again starting outside corner for the Patriots during practice. Not again, another one that you you sort of see the athleticism and you see the freakish ability that made him a first round pick, but not doesn't have quite have that like tangible play of the day or practice of the player of the day or anything like that quite yet uh, but i i feel like i haven't I, I i watched i zeroed in on him a couple of times towards the end of practice during that live 11 on 11 certainly looks like a guy that is very comfortable and, and very confident and i think that's the biggest thing that i always look at for corners uh, you never want to see panic in a corner like in his feet in his in his headgear like you never want to see him worried like oh no like i'm in the wrong place or oh no he's getting by me right or or i'm not in phase or whatever the case may be uh, it just seems to be smooth uh, just seems to be confident doesn't seem in over his head yet i always get thrown off by the the rookie jersey numbers i don't know if this happens to you where like he shouldn't be in 50 so like it looked i remember this with mac right mac yeah the 50 jersey was like swimming on him it made him look tiny maybe that's the case with so, christian gonzalez but he does look a little thin to me i and, see i had the other rea- i had the opposite reaction to it i'm looking at it he looks so much bigger than all the other corners and i'm like does he look like a linebacker because he's bigger does he look like a linebacker because he's, he's wearing 50 he certainly looks tall right that's, I mean, that, I, maybe that's more yeah. what it was but yeah I so just to like the caller's point, who is that uh, Sean uh, talking about the Eagles? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if like AJ Brown is the guy that you want to match him up on on Week One. Not obviously because AJ Brown's a great player and that's part of it, but like those like physical guys, I, I I'm still not a hundred percent sure that he's going to be able to um, out muscle an AJ Brown at the catch point thirty yards down the field. 
the guy that I would think that he would be on would be Devontae Smith. Like, he can run with Devontae yeah. Smith all day long, right? I, I don't think— Well, because I think you're going to put John Jones on Devontae Smith because he's just that kind of corner. I guess, but that's giving up some hype. But that that's down-the-line problem. But I think the big thing with Christian Gonzalez is uh, he's, he's no, done nothing to make me think that my pre-draft analysis of him— has changed, right? Like, I'm yeah. not moving off anything with Christian Gonzalez. No, he, he looks as advertised so far. Uh, what do you think of Keon White? Because he's taken me a little bit by surprise. Uh, you know, this is what I do. You know that. I come around yeah. on everybody they draft eventually. Uh, he had a, a T&E today, a stunt, you know, tackle, sets a little pick for him. He comes wrap around it where it was a free run to the quarterback because they executed it well. But just like that, that – twitch and that explosiveness and the close on the quarterback was pretty impressive and I, I've seen him go up against Calvin Anderson a few times and uh, he's tested him a little bit coming off the edge as a stand-up rusher which I, I didn't really think that he was going to have that kind of juice necessarily I knew that the like phys- the upper body strength and the power in the hands and like that stuff for the length would be there uh, he's shown a little bit of getty up though like I think he's got a little bit of a first step that maybe I undersold uh, during the draft uh, so he's been very intriguing player to me too standing up uh playing with his hand in the dirt uh, it's exciting this this whole cho- top half of this rookie class those first three picks have all looked the part i think so far yeah it's tougher with him just because it's non-padded practices yeah. he's a defensive lineman but that's fair i mean i just the size the size you see him out there walking he's around and he is he's a big boy we talk about this a lot we talked about it last year with cole strange we talked about Mac jones attack on thornton a bunch of these guys that's like yeah, they're good, and and I specifically do this a lot, Evan. You've heard yeah. me say this a ton. Wait until he gets a full year in the NF in an NFL weight room, right? Wait yeah. until he gets in that weight program and maxes out. Keon White's a grown man. Keon White's maxed out, man. man. I I don't know how he, if he gets any bigger, well, it's going to be unfair. Not to like use it as a knock, but he's twenty five, so he, yeah, he's an older rookie. Maybe but, he's twenty four, but, but they've twenty four twenty five. But they've drafted older guys in the past but, but who my, still need to max out. I guess right? so. Like, like Cole I, Strange is older. Sure. Uh, Duggar, though, was a grown man. Duggar was a grown man coming. Yeah, but yeah. this is this, even more so. This is, but it was just because of the defensive lineman. But, like, in no, terms but, of the but, rocked but upness, even compared, it reminds me of Duggar. Even, like, I would say Christian Barmore had the size yeah. he needed coming out, right? Yeah. But this, like, Keon White doesn't even look like a football player. He looks like a bodybuilder. Yeah, he's a, he's a monster. He is, yeah, he's cut. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with him because uh, they have – played him standing up in a two-point stance a little bit they have had him drop like once or twice a practice that i have seen looks pretty big for for yeah i I just want to see him punch an offensive lineman in the mouth that's all i want to see him doing have him line up across from the other guy and just come out of that because he like you said the way he comes out of that stance just bull rush that other guy till he can't handle it because that is going to be a long day for whoever is lining up opposite yeah across i I didn't i didn't love and this is again like not trying to kill the kid for OTA practices. I didn't love watching him drop into coverage. It's it's robotic. Like but he's it's not. He's two hundred eighty five. You pounds. know what though? It's funny because my it just cross that off. Like it just don't use him that way. Right? My like com- it's that simple. My comp for him coming out was Trey Flowers, and yeah. they used to do that with Trey Flowers every once in a while. Right, and it was like on third down. If it's put every, him in if drop it's every, zone. if it's every once in a while, just to like catch an offense off yeah. balance and like maybe you get lucky and the quarterback doesn't see him drop and he throws it right to him or something like that then fine like they used to do that every once in a while uh in, you know with like a Vrabel or a Ninkovich or I mean those, they still do it with Judon every yeah. once in a while you right. see him do it I will say that if you want to talk me into Keon White dropping into coverage here's how you do it because eventually he'll get a pick and then we'll get to see him stiff arm somebody <laughs> and that's gonna be awesome he is a monster all right you know what to that last caller's question yeah 
Give me Keon White at fullback reps. Oh, my God. Or a tight end on the goal line. Something like that. I want to see him block. All right. Let's take these last two calls, and I have a few more OTA thoughts. Uh, Brent in Cambridge. What's up, Brent? Hey, what's up, guys? Hey. Um, just wanted to say, long-time follower and admire of your guys' work. As Thanks. someone who's worked in sports media and sort of still sports adjacent to that, um, you know, I know there's a sea of content out there, and you guys certainly stand out among the crowd. So just want to preface with that. Thank, thank you. Call. Keep up the hard work. Um, to my call, and I know we kind of moved away from this, but coming back to it, assuming that DeAndre Hopkins does sign next week, and we can all hope, the trickle-down effect fascinating to me, not just from, from pecking order or, you know, odd man out with Parker and Bourne at the top of that combo, but even just thematically, because essentially how I see it, there's really just going to be one spot available in terms of, like, base personnel. So if you look at it, there's basically five skill positions skill position players available. And, and when you look at a most used personnel, which is still a running back and a wide tight end in there, let's say Ramondre Stevenson and Hunter Henry, then you have three receivers left, basically, that could be used. And I think all three of us would be shocked if that's not D-Hop and Juju there at the top. So essentially you're talking about one role after that in terms of most used personnel. And I've eliminated the semantics of Mike Kosicki, wide receiver, tight end, and 11-12 personnel. Let's just throw him in there. You're essentially talking about one role for Tyquan Thornton Mike Kosicki, Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, and you don't even need to get into it. So basically, to leave you guys with a concrete question, is what would you see being the most used personnel? And would that personnel's usage rate be that much more noticeable than, than, than I would suggest? Yeah, that's a great question, Brent. It's a fun question because they, they have options. Yeah. You, I don't know if anybody's like – over the moon about all of them or not, but like they have options well, there. I, I think essentially what you're talking about, and he kind of laid it out perfectly. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is your. It, frankly, I don't know that DeAndre Hopkins even needs to be a part of this conversation because yeah. this is what I think is going to be one of the best battles at camp. You're going to have an X, whether that's yeah. Devontae Parker or DeAndre Hopkins. That guy's going to be on the field 90% of the time. Yeah. If they, and we talked about this, if they sign Hopkins, we both think. Parker's the odd man out. So that's that role. Done. Period. Leave it alone. Juju Smith's in the slot. Yeah. Done. Period. That's not changing. It's really that Z receiver. Yes. And I think there's a case to be made that Mike Gesicki, his role is more or less going to be Z receiver. Yeah. Right? So it has been interesting that a couple of things in practice that have stood out with Gesicki, they've used him in some of those like short motions and things yeah. like that, that they would typically put like Jacoby or Julian Edelman in. And now they're doing it with Gesicki, uh, which I did find a little bit interesting because that's, that is basically Z like that. That's what they would do with their Z receiver. So I'm with you on that. So it comes down to, I hadn't even considered it in terms of Gesicki. Honestly, I was thinking in terms of Bourne and Thornton yeah. battling for that Z spot. And if you want to, we can throw Mike Gesicki in there as yeah. well. Absolutely. It's like a 12 look, right? Right. Wait, well, is it 12? Is it not 12? That was I Bill's. Call it 12. But that, I'm calling it 12. That was Bill's no, whole thing. He's a tight no, oh, I had a 12. name for it when they signed it. It was like Ghost 12 or it's something 12. like that. Just I got to go back and listen. No, I had a name for it specifically with Kasiki. No, Ghost 12. Ghost 12. It's just 12. All right. The point being, those three guys, and look, all three are going to make the team. This isn't a battle in the sense that one of them is going to get cut. But, right. And I think ultimately they'll all rotate because they all win differently from that spot. Yeah. But those three guys battling for the main, or the, the, we'll call it the majority of the Z snaps, that's going to be a very, very fascinating battle throughout the summer. It is, and I will just say my take on it, it has to be Taekwon. It has to be Taekwon, and I don't necessarily mean just because of the draft status and like what we hope Taekwon is going to be in year two. I just think that 
from a opening up the field standpoint, like having a, a speed guy in the Z spot that can play inside, can play outside, and take the top off the defense, it just really makes you difficult to cover. It really does because now you have Hopkins, you know, running his route tree on the outside as the X boundary guy. You have Tyquan coming over the top and then you just have Juju filling in in the middle of the field. And now those are the times when you can really get those Juju catch and runs, right? Like you your kid emo coming over the middle, uh, the the safeties are back because of Tyquan Thornton and Hopkins on the outside and now all of a sudden think about all the space in the middle yeah. for somebody like Juju or Henry or Gasicki to operate inside. I It should be Taekwon, and this kind of brings me to, to the offense and sort of my takeaways from the OTAs today. I, I had two kind of offensive takeaways, one being Taekwon wasn't out there today. It was uh, Parker and Bourne and then a smorgasbord of everybody else, right? Uh, you know, DeMario Douglas, no Keishon Butte either, or Booty, sorry either so it was like demario douglas it was uh trey nixon it was uh, raleigh webb who actually raleigh made, webb made some catches made some, made made some, some plays. plays uh raleigh webb uh there wasn't a whole lot of vertical element to the offense today and it just feels like they really threw one pass down the field the entire day and that was to Devonte parker on the left sideline. Like that, that was the first pass of the day. It was incomplete on uh, Jack Jones. No, no, they threw more than one because that first, remember we were sitting there and who was somebody goes, oh, I just drafted Mac to my fantasy team. I don't think that was like, that was a dig. That was pretty oh. deep. It was like 25, 30, 35 yards. It was like a field. deep dig. I'm talking I call, about I call like it a deep pass. I'm, I'm calling like a You're deep talking about like vertical. a sideline go ball. Okay. Yeah. Or what, you know, deep cross, whatever. There's a downfield to throw. Uh, without Taekwon out there, it, it, they didn't have a whole lot of, of just threats to, to get up the field. And they hit uh, the, the dig to, to Parker was a nice throw. That was a, a, a dagger, right? Kendrick Bourne runs the seam, clears it out, and Parker fills it in, throws the deep in cut. Uh, and then they ran a seam to Hunter Henry that they hit. That was pretty good in, yeah. in between a couple guys. Uh, those were two good throws down the field for Mac today. And I thought early on in the 11-on-11 period, it looked like, okay, that's the Bill O'Brien offense, right? Like, you know, hit the intermediate, hit the seam. Like, that's what we're kind of going for here. Uh, but it just – there's not a whole lot of downfield right now uh, to what they do. And, and that's where I really feel like Tyquan, ha- he has to fill that role. Like, he, yeah. even if it's just on a Philip Dorsett level, right? Like, you just somebody's got to get up the field and, and he's got to be that guy. And you kind of felt that uh, without him being out there today. Certainly felt it the other day when nobody was there. But, but I even felt like today you felt it a little bit too. A lot of motion. A lot of early uh, practice reps, like not necessarily live, more like jog through pace, uh, where they're practicing backfield actions, right? Like motion. Uh, I think that there's some fake, some RPOs elements in there, as well. I don't want to like give away too much, but there's certainly working on that. Like yeah. it's you know guys coming in jet motion, guys uh, you know end around orbit motion, and and fakes in the backfield, you know reads and for the quarterback whether he's going to give or he's going to throw the football. Uh, there's a, every single practice there's been like a portion of elevens early on that again it is not truly live i'd call it more like a jog through yeah uh, that they're practicing 
some of that Alabama stuff, right? And you can see that. So that's exciting to me. Uh, you know, I asked Bailey Zappi about it after practice today, and uh, you know, he gave me enough for me to be like, all right, like that's actually a thing that they're doing more than just what we've seen. Uh, so it's exciting. I think that that's what we've always wanted this Mac Jones Patriots offense to look like is Alabama fly it the traditional Patriots offense that we had with Josh McDaniels and and had for years here uh, for the past two decades modernized Alabama fied Alabama fied sure uh motion misdirection RPO those types of elements and stretching I, the field from the slot we've certainly seen a lot of that in, in these practices too I, I it just has really stood out to me you know the Last practice, they were they were practicing early on in the practice. They're passing uh, those pop passes, right, where receiver comes in jet motion, then you just flick it to yeah, him. They used to run that with Brandon Cooks a yeah, lot. Yeah, little pop pass. Then today, they're they're practicing, you know, uh, ghost motions where you're bringing the guy in motion, uh, but you're not actually handing him the football or throwing him the football. He's just the threat is there. Right. Uh, they're trying to ghost. draw the eyes. They're trying yeah. to draw the defense's eyes to something. Yeah, which. They did a lot of shifting last year, uh, but they were towards the bottom of the league in motion at the snap. And I think motion at the snap, jet motion, orbit, uh, those things have become extremely popular around the league. Uh, the Shannon tree uses it. Obviously, like the college-style West Coast schemes like Philly and, and Kansas City use it. The Patriots have not necessarily used that enough, in my mind, over the last couple of years. It's eye candy. It draws guys out of zones. It it sucks up the defense. It gets guys one-on-one matchups. It gets people into space. It's it's really effective and has been really effective for teams across the league for the last couple of years. So that's coming. I think that we're going to see a whole lot more of that. And something you just talked about, and I think this was a, a philosophical issue with the offense last year, was... You talk about how, you know, it sucks the defense and you get them to look at something and then you run something off of it. So you talk yeah. about that ghost motion, right, where you, you keep having that guy going. Mo- and so normally it's the other way around from what you're describing, but you, you keep running that motion and you screen it over there, right? Yeah. You screen off the motion, you screen off the motion and you run. The, and we the Patriots do it, maybe not with motion, but they did this a lot under Josh McDaniels, right? They keep running the same running back screen over and yeah. over and over. And we'd be like, it's not working. Why do they yeah. keep doing this? And then it gets to the fourth quarter, and suddenly you pump that screen left, and you yeah. come back to the right side on a slant, but the whole defense has yeah. crashed down to that screen. So you have the setup plays, which is the screen, the screen, right. the screen, and then what I call the shot plays, which yeah. is what you're building towards. Yes. Last year, they called a lot of shot plays. Yeah. But there was they, no they, never, they never set them up. That's a great point. Which, which I think was when they talked about Matt Patricia reverse engineering the offense. Yeah. He's a defensive coordinator. He's afraid of the shot play. Yeah. So he's going to call a lot of shot plays without maybe getting into what makes them successful. Motion yeah. is a great way to set things up because yeah. it all of our minds, it's not just football yeah. things, all of our minds, right? We like to look for patterns. We like to find well, it, patterns. It, it's like play action. Like if you right. you can't play action without establishing and i don't mean establish the run because i don't want the nerds to get mad at me but establishing the action that you uh, are without establishing right. the fact that you are willing to run the ball out of that look right so like if you get to the line of scrimmage and you want to pull the guard and, and hit play action behind the linebackers like the patriots have done a million times over the years if you're not willing to run power a few times before there's no threat if you don't give them a reason to step up right They're so that's the thing up. Right. Motion right would you say motion right now is the best way to maybe design a setup? It's one of them. I, I would say that 
really we have gotten too advanced for formations to do it on its own, right? Like yeah. defenses are too advanced. They're too smart where bat, at once upon a time, you could just set it up with formations. Well, so this right? is what the wildcat was, right? The wildcat was, all right, they're going to run the ball. Like they get a running back back. They're going to run it. They're going to run it. They're going to run yeah. it. And then after seven or eight wildcat runs, and this is why the wildcat was effective because yeah. you'd think, all right, they're obviously going to run. We'll sell out. You'd have that running back just pop a little pass over the middle behind yeah. the linebackers coming up. Yeah. yeah, you can't do that. Anymore. Yeah, so like formations, what I mean is is like numbers in the box, right? Like you could set it up where like if you had a fullback and you were plus one in the box and you just had more number, like you had more bodies that you have more blockers than there were defenders to 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 fit it up, right? And there right. there was nothing the defense could do. You just were outnumbered. But I think defenses have done a really good job of now being able to play a man down or a gap down and making up for that. So the best ways to do it, I think the best offenses, they marry everything together, right? Everything looks the same until it's not. Joshua Daniels is really good at this play action, right? You're a power gap team. You're a downhill run team. So you run power, you run counter, you run fullback lead. Then you have, play action concepts off of those things where the fullback comes through the hole, but then the quarterback keeps the ball and and the linebackers come screaming up and there's the play action pass behind it. Last year, the Patriots were running play action passes without a run action. They weren't marrying it up together. And that's why it wasn't effective. These motions, these backfield actions that we're seeing, these fakes, like all these different things, they're going to build up to different things where they can have complementary plays that are now going to branch off of all these things. Even if you never, you could give it to the motion guy one time a game. Like you don't even, you don't need to feed the motion guy. It's just the action of that. And then you have something like this, then you have something like that. And now all of a sudden you're building a whole repertoire of things that you can do off of. And it. now it's in, and then when that all happens, it's in the back of the defense, right? The defense can't key in on, yeah. all right, well, this guy's on the field or in this formation, I'm looking here. Okay. But the ball could also go to the right or it could yeah. also go to the left, but they could also sneak a guy behind me. You just want the defense thinking about as many possible outcomes as possible when you come to the line, and that's how you do that. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good things that I think they're doing, and right now what we're seeing is a foundational basic install of these things. So it's not necessarily like they're drawing up and scheming guys open. It's like these sexy plays that they're putting on film right now in practice, but we, like we're describing, we're seeing the foundation being right. laid. This is what it's all going to be built off of. Right, correct. Exactly. So that's been exciting. I, I, I still, I still need some more data. You know, I'm a, I, I like the, the deep ball. Like I, I'm just a sucker for it. Yeah, I need to see a little not bit Bill more. O'Brien's offense though. And, and I think that that's why, you know, that's why I wanted to preface it with that first period of live 11s when he hit Parker over the yeah. middle and then he hit the seam to Henry. Like th- I was like, okay, that's, that's probably what Bill O'Brien wants, right? Like that's, yeah, that's, that's what he's textbook. O'Brien. That's what they're going for. So there was evidence of that today as well. All right. One more call and then we'll wrap it. Uh, what's up, Patty? How you doing? Gentlemen. What's hey. going on? Not much. Evan, first off, I got I got to apologize for the semi troll job last week. Um, no, don't apologize for that. That was great. <laughs> just joking around, having a little fun. Um, but I got to just want to say a couple things. Um, <clears throat> yesterday, on P, when you brought up like you want Bill nowhere near the offensive game plan, let Bill O'Brien do it. Like I got a good chuckle out of that. And um, I'm not going to rehash my uh, my thoughts and ideas on DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I just had kind of a weird question, and that if we see these guys, you know, over the last few years that have been drafted, you know, in the, the grow era, 
as it were. Like, Duggar takes another big step. You know, Max, let's say he has the breakout. Barmore stays healthy and does great. You know, just throwing some names out there. Pierre Strong, Cole Strange, all these guys, like, step up in the rookie class. You guys from the rookie class, you know, they nail it. Can, can we finally stop saying that the Patriots are the least talented team in the division? I mean, if these, if some of these guys really start hitting and start and like their skills really start coming to fruition, and especially if they finish the season with like ten, ten or more wins. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope so. Thanks for the call, Patty. I I hope so. Like that's the hope, right? Is that right. these young guys do step up? I, I I can see why people think that about the Patriots and and the whole oh they're the fourth best team in the division. They're talentless and yada yada yada. I, I can see some of that. I don't. I'm not necessarily. I think Miami has great top of the end of the roster talent. I think they're. You know, they have Tyree Kill. They have Jalen Waddle. Yeah. Uh, they have Jalen Phillips. They have Bradley Chubb. They have the two corners. Like they're. It's all. The, it's the old Madden rating thing, right? Like they're right. like one through six or one through seven is better than the Patriots. They're, right. There's no doubt about that. I I'm not sure that Miami necessarily has the depth that people think they do like i i don't know if i'm as as impressed with the back end of their roster or you know 10 through 53 if you will um as other people are uh, there's no question the jets roster is is great from top to bottom like for the most part i think there are holes there too like any team but for the most part and then we know what's going on in buffalo so i, I think well that- this goes it goes back to one of those old belichickisms it's not about collecting talent it's about building a team i don't know that the Miami is kind of collecting talent Miami's certainly collecting talent. I think yeah. Buffalo's collecting talent. The Jets have built a team defensively. Yeah. We'll see how it all comes together on offense. I, I don't know that we're going to be able like the thing with the Patriots is they're if they do, you know, make a run at this, it's cuz they're so well-rounded. Yeah, they 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 are. They're, they're they they have a, a lot of options. Right. I don't their know if any biggest, of them are great, but they have a lot well, of options. Well, so here's what I say. Their biggest strength, whatever it ends up being, and we could argue what it will be for probably a whole other hour, but their biggest strength will never be as strong as Buff this year. Will, will not be as strong as Buffalo's biggest strength or Miami's biggest strength or the Jets' biggest strength. But they will not have any weaknesses as glaring as the weaknesses those three teams have. And that's what they're going to try to win on. The idea yeah. that any team, you know, any week, anywhere, any opponent, any conditions they are going to have an answer for what the opponent's going to try to do. Yeah. That's what they're trying to win on. It's not that we're going to come out and beat you by doing this. It's, okay, this is what you want to do. We believe we have a counter to that. I just think that they... They're, sorry, one more. Yeah. I think what ultimately the story of, of... As things stand right now, what the story of this Patriots team will be, they're going to win by making other teams uncomfortable. That's who they are. That's going to be their identity. They're going to try to make other teams uncomfortable. And there, you can certainly win that way in the NFL. You just ha- there's not a lot of room margin for error. You have to execute at a high level. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that you know the main thing to me is you're not going to just roll out of bed and win on your talent alone if you're right. New England. Uh, but I do think that they have professional football players at pretty much every spot. Yeah, and that will allow them to take advantage of other teams issues and mistakes yeah right and and so they will be if they can be opportunistic like that and i think defensively the last couple years they have been opportunistic like that you know 
just throwing 2020 out, but 19 and last year and 21, I think they have been a pretty opportunistic defense. Well, and, and that's what I think they're going to be basically opportunistic on both sides of the ball now. Yeah. All right, you can't cover tight ends. Maybe we don't have prime prime Gronk, but we have yeah. two pretty solid tight yeah. ends in Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki that'll make you pay if you give him a chance. You struggled covering in the slot. Juju Smith-Schuster's a pretty good slot receiver. Right. You struggle with speed. You have a slow secondary. We're going to put Tyquan Thornton and Kendrick Bourne out there. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't defend the run. Well, we know, obviously, they have a good rushing attack. Yeah. And then, obviously, on defense, we've they've been able to kind of approach games like that the last few years. That, I think, is essentially going to be... This is going to be as true of a game plan team. And they've always been a game plan team under Belichick. They pride themselves on that. Yeah. This is going to be as true of a game plan team as I think they've ever had. Well, it's... Uh, under Bill. Th- there's more... I'm more optimistic, and it's the spring, and it's it's way too early to have, like, big overarching takes on where the team is headed or anything like that. But I think seeing a few of these OTA practices made me a little bit more optimistic about where things are heading because of that. I think they do have decent roster depth, and I do think they have, like I just said, professional football players at every spot. It's one of those ones where, like, I don't know if you've done a roster projection yet, but, like, early on, you go through it, right? Before you, before, this is how I do roster projections. I think you do them the same way. Maybe other people do them differently. I go through, and the first thing I do is just, put down all the players that are NFL caliber talent yeah. could realistically be on a 53 man roster. Yeah. Normally you have about 60, 65 players. I think I had 70 roster role players on this yeah. team as things stand right now. And it's actually gone down one because Raekwon McMillan got hurt, but 69 yeah. roster role players nice. on the roster. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So that, that's a big thing. We'll see if it ends up being enough star power or high-end talent. Certainly adding DeAndre Hopkins would, would help. Yeah. I mean. So that that's sort of uh, where we're at here with the Patriots. Next week, uh, all three days, mandatory minicamp. Uh, we'll have Patriots unfiltered live from mandatory minicamp during practice. So you can tune into that and uh, get our takes and our opinions of practice as it's going on a lot like training camp most years. And uh, we'll be back at the same time or actually – not at no, the same time. Thursday, right? Thursday yeah. at our normal time uh, to break down all three days of minicamp, continue on the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes and see the latest on that. And uh, maybe by this time next Thursday, Alex, will have a really concrete idea of the team uh, based off of minicamp and DeAndre Hopkins uh, to catch passes from Mac Jones. That'd be pretty cool, <laughs> yeah. right? So uh, we'll see you next Thursday. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, we'll be back on video next week so you can actually see us. Thanks, Bye. guys. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.